I'll just have to refrain from using my hands today. I'm a hands talker. It's better than being a close talker. No offense if you're a close talker. Just exercise the mints, that's all. <laughs> all right, dropping them truth bombs left and right. All right. <laughs> well, hey, good morning. Hey, what a day so far. Uh, I love when God just, when we just fall into God's plan. That's the better way to say it. But he always has a plan. It's better when we fall into it and, and, and embrace it. And what a, what a morning uh, of that. Uh, keep those. Keep that prayer close to your heart and to, close to your family. Keep that scripture out of Psalm 91 close uh, to you. I'm going to in, uh, invite you to open up. We're going to be looking at um, two opening texts today. Uh, first is 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And then it will be uh, Colossians chapter 1. 2 Timothy 3 and then Colossians 1 will be a couple, few pages back behind Timothy. All right, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and they'll also, I think they'll have them on the screen for you too. Uh, Paul's writing to Timothy, and this is what he says in chapter 3, verse 1. He said, you should know this, Timothy, that... In the last days, there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. Be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. Stay away from people like that. And now let's look at Colossians 1, verse 19. Paul writes, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. But you're no longer the way you were. It says you are holy and blameless. As you stand before him without a single fault. Verse 23. But you must, you must continue to believe this truth. You must continue to stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed 
as God's servant to proclaim it. Let's pray over this text today. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for calling us to yourself. You have always been beckoning us and calling us to you, but we have not always responded in the sense of coming to you. A lot of times, Lord, we try to run from you. We try to hide from you. We try to be our own person, do our own thing. This morning, you're reminding us that you are the Lord, you are the Almighty, and it is better to run to you than to run away from you. So, Lord, may we do that now as we open our hearts, our ears, and lives to your word. Speak, Spirit of God, speak to us today and help us to gain traction and moving forward with what you have for our lives in you. Help me to deliver this now. And we honor you and we thank you. For you reign. Our God reigns. In Jesus' name. And you can say amen if you believe that. Amen. We started a series last week called Can You Relate? Can You Relate? It's, it's about relationships uh, of all kinds. And... The idea behind, behind this particular series is not so much to deal with all of the practicals of the various kinds of relationships that we have, but more so to deal with and look at and wrestle with and gain strength from learning the practical responsibility of our own individual part in a relationship, okay? And so relationships are something we're created for. We, we are ha- we, in us, was, we were born with, created with this, in, this, this great desire, this great need for relationship, primarily because our God is a relational. He is relational, and He created us that way. And the thing about relationships, though, as we would all testify to, is they're not all that easy sometimes. Uh, they're not all that easy. Relationships require hard work. Uh, they require work on our behalf to bring out the good and to bring out the best that can, that, can, that can come forth. And on most occasions, relationships are rewarding, they're refreshing, um, they're encouraging uh, across the board, most, most cases. And then also there are times, though, where, where relationships struggle. Relationships are uh, discouraging and disheartening and disappointing, and they can be painful sometimes as well. Um, it's just that's, that's the ebbs and flows of relationship, the ups and downs of relationship. And last week we looked at a, a one particular thing about relationships, and that is rejection. We looked at rejection last week. It's on our website, that message, newlifechurchofjackson.org, right on the homepage. I strongly encourage you to, to listen to that if you, if you have not listened to that, if you were not here or if you were here. It's just one of those that I, 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 I try to, I'd listen to it again, not because of the preacher, but because of the author of that word, uh, Christ. And it's just really, really good. It'll help you. It really will help you. And, um, and so we looked at rejection last week. Today we're going to look at something called cultivation. Cultivation. I know cultivation is a, it's a farming term. It means to develop the ground, to bring out the harvest. And, uh, but it's, a, it's, a, it's also a spiritual term. 
uh, to cultivate. And what we're really going to look at is, is cultivating the ground of our heart, to, fo- to foster and to prepare it, to, to work the ground. Can you just say that? Say, work the ground. We're going to work the ground of our heart. That's God calls us to do that. And so, so we're going to look at that. And I've titled today's message, Cultivate Before It's Too Late. Cultivate Before It's Too Late. I, I also kind of have to admit I've got a second title that if you might like this one too, I don't know. But it's called Check Yourself Before You Wreck Yourself. <laughs> so depending on which side of titles you like, you may not like either one. Well, we, The Lord cautioned us this morning and he said it's a challenging day for us. In the sense he's really wanting to challenge us to not stay down but to rise up to rise up, and I want us to accept this challenge that he has because he wants to bring out the right, great, good things that he has put inside of us to come forth. And You know, our, our uh, current conditions in this life, in this world, they exist be, because they really uh, are there because of the fall of man, all the way back to the fall of man. And so I, I want to revisit real quick 2 Timothy 3, but I'm going to revisit it in a different translation, the Passion Translation. And we don't have that available on our screen. I don't think it's, we haven't been able to get that yet. It's not available, but I want to just read a few things to you off of that. This is the way the Passion Translation says it. Paul says, but you need to be aware that in the final days, the culture of society will become extremely fierce. People will be self-centered lovers of themselves and obsessed with money. They will boast of great things as they strut around in their arrogant pride and mock all that is right. They will ignore their own families. They will be ungrateful and ungodly. They will become addicted to hateful and malicious slander. Slaves to their desires. They will be ferocious, belligerent, haters of what is good and right. With brutal treachery, they will act without restraint, bigoted and wrapped in clouds of their conceit. They will find their delight in the pleasures of this world more than the pleasures of the loving God. They may pretend to have a respect for God, but in reality, they want nothing to do with God's power. Stay away from people like these. So our current condition in this life is traced all the way back to the beginning, to the fall of man. Adam and Eve's disobedience. Adam and Eve's disobedience. Romans tells us through Paul's writing that through one man's disobedience, many became sinners, but through one man's obedience, many became righteous. He's referencing the first Adam that God created with the second Adam, who is Christ Jesus. So with the original Adam, his disobedience led to create what is called the fall of man, and it creates this sinful nature that we're all born with. But then in Christ Jesus, because of his obedience, then we have the opportunity to be made right with God because of his obedience, because Jesus got it right. And we looked at that last week out of Hebrews uh, chapter 4, that uh, we saw that... um, 
uh, that, that God in Christ Jesus, he can relate to us. He was tempted and tested in all of the things that you and I are tempted and tested with, tested with, but yet he did it without sin. He overcame. He was perfect. He didn't fall prey to those things. And we can go to him boldly to his throne of grace and receive mercy and help that he wants to give us. So it's in Christ that everything changes. It's in Christ that everything shifts and changes. And so because of the condition of the world, though it exists the way it exists, you and I, if we're born again and put our hope and faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then here's the thing. We have hope. We don't have to remain as the world remains. We don't have to be as the world bees. We don't have to do as the world does. We don't have to live as the world lives. We don't have to act as the world acts. You get where I'm going with that because everything changes in Jesus Christ. A whole new world opens up. I knew somebody that was Disney-oriented would get that reference. As Paul tells us in Colossians 1, that God does his part. He reconciles us to himself through Christ. He, he forgives us through the blood of Christ. And he makes us holy and blameless before him in Christ Jesus. God does his part, but then he also expects us to do our part. We have our part. He says, continue to stand firm. Continue to believe. Continue. Don't drift away from the truth. Continue to believe the truth. Continue to stand in the truth. Don't drift away from the truth. That sounds like work. That sounds like something we got to make ourselves do. And that is true. It is something we have to make ourselves do. But regardless of the current conditions of this world, you and I, as born-again believers, if we put our hope and faith in Jesus Christ, then here's the thing. We can have an outcome in our earthly relationships of good and godly and whole and pure and righteous if we will do the hard work of cultivating the ground of our heart. We have to have ownership of this thing inside of us, and we have a responsibility in this. We have a part to play. And so as we can as we cultivate our hearts, then here's what happens. We begin to pay attention to the toxins that can prevent and destroy relationships. God is relational, God made us relational, and the enemy wants to destroy relationship. He wants us all people on the planet to never have a relationship with God. And that those who have a relationship with God, he's always trying to create ways to destroy relationships with him, with the Lord. And he's also trying to destroy relationships that we have on this planet. You look at this in the natural picture of relationships across the board, all the different various types of relationships, you will find friction. You will find conflict. You will find disagreements. You will find things that are hard to deal with. It's just the, nat the natural order of progression because of the fall of man. However, our hope in Christ is we don't have to remain that way. We can find unity. We can find love. We can find a cohesiveness. We can find agreement. We can find the right things that God wants to create in us to have in a relationship on this earth. 
that it doesn't have to be tormented all the time. They don't have to be, it doesn't have to be chaotic all the time. And so, but we have, and the only way to understand that and really walk in that and, and, and get a picture for that is we have to learn to continue to cultivate the ground of our heart. We've got to work the ground of our heart, and it allows us then to pay attention to some of the toxins that exist that, that are there to destroy and to prevent healthy relationships from flourishing. I dare say if we had a show of hands, how many would say, you don't have to raise your hand, but I would dare say you would raise your hand in the sense of, would you want a healthy marital relationship? Hands would go up if you're married, absolutely. If you've got children, how many of you want a, rela- a healthy family relationship with your children? And you want your own kids to act right at home with one another, right? And with their peers and all these different things. This has been a trying week for me in relationships with my kids. I'd like to tell you that I have passed all the tests like Jesus did, but I found myself having to go boldly to the throne of grace many times this week to get the help and the mercy I need. And then I had to also eat some humble pie and let my kids know that dad's not perfect. We try, but we make mistakes too. And relationships, though, I... That especially that relationship with my children, it's worth me doing that. Even though my pride says, you're the dad, show them who's boss, brother. They don't need you to bend down on a knee and apologize. Yeah, they really do. Because there's a lot that can be taught when that happens. And but I'm, I'm telling you, I don't like doing that because I don't like to have to admit that. Uh, but I just want to tell you that it makes things better when we do that. makes things better when we do that. And then it opens up the door for the Holy Spirit to just work in me. As, I, as you know, there's things that the Scripture teaches us that tells us to be self-controlled, tells us to be gentle, tells us to be kind. That doesn't just to, that, that's not just to certain ones. That's to all Christians. We're called to live that way. But we don't always, and that that. That's why we got to learn to keep going to the throne of grace. And here's the thing. God's not waiting for us to come to him with a big sledgehammer and pound us over the head and, and, and say, see, you, you messed up, you messed up, you messed up, you messed up. No, he's there with the throne of grace to give us mercy and to give us help. And friends, we got to call on that. We got to activate that. We got to live in that because that is the relationship we've been afforded through Christ Jesus. That's why as the world is, the church and the believers don't have to be. That we can be different. We can be greater in the sense of the righteousness and the things that God wants to pull out of us. And so, so but there are these toxins that exist. There are these toxins that exist. And I, I just, we got a new clock, so I got to look at it now and I got to get going. My introduction was way longer than it should have been. So I want to just look at three toxins that can prevent and destroy relationships. But to do that, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning. We're going to go back to the root here in Genesis chapter 3. So if you got your Bibles, you can flip. If you're using a smartphone, thumb through. You want to look at the screen, it's there. We're going to look at three toxins that can destroy relationships. So Adam and Eve have sinned. They've, they've been in the garden roaming around, doing their thing, living life, living the dream. They disobeyed God. They disobeyed God, and because of that, serious consequences came into this world. 
and there became a separation between mankind and the Lord, the Creator. And so God's looking for them, and he, he, he's calling out, where are you at? In verse 10, Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. The first cell, uh, toxin that can destroy a relationship is that of self-pity. Self-pity. Going to the root. Adam's like, I heard you, but I felt bad. So I just kind of wanted to hide. And I, didn't, I just kind of wanted to sulk. Just kind of wanted to wallow around in my mess here for a little while. And uh, it's called self-pity. Self-pity says things like, I can't, and it makes excuses. Says things like, everything and everyone is against me. It's always been like this. If I had the opportunities like everybody else had, then I wouldn't be in this condition. That's what self-pity does. And it reminds me of this story in John chapter 5 of the man um, by the pool of Bethesda. He was, a, he was a lame man, meaning he couldn't move around. And this pool of Bethesda, this was the gathering place of all those who had physical problems. There was the lame, there was the blind, there was the paralyzed this man had been in this condition for 38 years. Jesus walks in through the pool of Bethesda and walking around on the porches and in the porticos and looking around. And he sees this man and he comes up to him and he says, hey, would you like to get well? And the answer that this man gives is not, you know it, for real? No, his answer is, I can't. And then he starts making excuses and he says, I can't because I don't have anybody that can put me in the pool when the waters are stirred. So, see, see that guy over there? Yeah, he, has, he had two friends help him. See that dude walking around over there? Yeah, he, he, had some, he had some help. And everybody always gets ahead of me. Everybody always gets in front of me. Everybody always gets the promotion. Everybody always gets looked at. I always get overlooked, in essence. So the man is in this condition, and the Lord asks him, do you want to get well? And he says, I can't. I can't. And so here's what happens. The Lord doesn't, Jesus doesn't give the man what he wants. He gives the man what he needs. Because what the man wants, I gather from this story, is the man wants someone to keep feeling sorry for him, someone to keep giving him a handout, and somebody to keep paying attention to him, someone to keep stroking his ego of whatever, making him feel the way he feels. But Jesus doesn't give him what he wants. He asks him, hey, do you want to get well? The man says, I can't, and he begins to make excuses. And Jesus is standing there. The story goes, he doesn't entertain what the man wants. He's going to give the man what he needs. Because oftentimes what we want is not what we need. But there is a God who knows what we need more than what we want because most of the time we want people to feel sorry for us most of the time we want people to give us the handout most of the time we want people to just pay some attention to me but Jesus didn't give the man what he wanted he gave him what he needed and here's what he needed Jesus told the man stand up 
stand up. Something he could not do, Jesus now told him to do. And what he was giving him when he told him to stand up was a new purpose. For 38 years, he had been lying on a four-by-two mat, and all he could do was beg. But now Jesus was giving him a purpose, and it was to now be. Be somebody. Be the change in your family. Be the difference maker in your friends. Be a giver and not always a taker. Jesus was giving him a new purpose when he told him to stand up. Then he told him, hey, now pick up your mat, pick up your mat, pick up your mat. What he was giving him in that essence gave him a new purpose. Now Jesus was going to give him new power. He was powerless. 38 years he was confined to the four foot by two foot mat and all he could do was beg. All he could do was rely on. All he would do was just kind of hope and plead. He gave him a new purpose. Then he told him, pick up your mat, and he gave him new power. In other words, that mat can no longer define you. Your circumstance, your past, those chains, those bondages, those addictions, those scenarios, those circumstances in your life where you have just given yield to over time, those things, you now need to hold them. Don't let that hold you. You hold it. You show your mat that you have power in your life now. Jesus brings power to our weakness. Where we have been impossible to make changes for our life, Jesus brings power to us to make the change says, stand up, pick up your mat. You've got new purpose and you've got new, uh, new power. But then he tells the man, now walk. Now walk. He gives the man a new perspective. For 38 years, his perspective was on the, do- on the dirt floor, on the ground. All he could see were ankles and dust and nasty toes and, and crumbs and things that people had dropped and everything was in his way and he couldn't see. All he had that was, that was the low down perspective. Now Jesus gave him purpose, Jesus gave him power, and then Jesus changes his perspective and he tells him, you now have the ability to walk. Where your eyes see, you can go. Where your heart wants to take you, I can now help you. And he gave him a new perspective. So Jesus did not sit there and have this two-hour conversation with a man when he asked him, do you want to change? Do you want to get better? Do you want your life to count? Do you want things to be different for you? He didn't entertain the I can't and the excuses. He didn't give the man what he wanted. He gave the man what he needed. And Jesus gives us what we need, not always what we want. Oh yeah, there are times we'll pray and we'll get our way and we'll get what we want, but then it won't be enough. We'll want something else. It won't be what we thought. I got to get a better job. I got to make more money. And pretty soon you're working 90 hours a week and you're never around, never home. Oh, you got money in the bank, but people don't know you anymore, especially those close to you. And that's just one of many different things. We always want the next. We always want more and more. It's what, it's, what the, it's what it echoes in time. It's what echoes in our hearts. We want more. This world wants more. And we don't always get what we want. But in Jesus, we will always get what we need. 
And we all need purpose. We all need his power. And we all need his perspective to see things the way he sees things. But if we attach ourselves to self-pity, it'll ruin our relationships. Toxin number two. So he tells him, I was afraid, I hid, there I am. And the Lord asked him, hey, have you eaten from the tree I told you not to? And here it is, verse 12. The man replied, well, what had happened was, he says, it was the woman that you gave me who gave me the fruit. And so I said, that looks good, I'll eat it. So the Lord looks at Eve and is like, what have you done? And she's like, well, you see, what had happened was the serpent deceived me, and that's why I ate it. The toxin of self-pity, then you have the toxin of blame. It's been happening from Adam and Eve. They started this. They started this, but don't blame them, because we do the same thing sometimes, too. When we live by blaming other people for our predicament, our condition, our scenario, whatever, there's a breakdown in personal responsibility. A breakdown in personal responsibility. Ecclesiastes 11.4, the word of wisdom tells us this, Farmers who wait for the perfect weather never plant. That if they watch every cloud, they never harvest. So if we wait around for everybody else to change, guess what? We're not going to change. Pick a relationship context. Well, I just want them to change. They need to change. Pick the relationship context. Pick the scenario that exists. We want the conditions of others to be perfect before we will make a change. That happens so many times in so many different relationships. It happens in so many cases across the board that if we wait around for the conditions to get perfect, church will never be the church that God has called us to be. We'll never be the true bride of Christ. We'll never look attractive to this world because all we do is bicker and fight all the time. And nobody likes to be around a bickering and fighting people. Nobody likes to live around people who point fingers and blame everybody else for their problem. It's easy. I get it. It's easy to do that. We're all can, we all can fall prey to that. I get that. We all are subject to that, but we don't have to live there. That's the thing. We don't have to live in that condition of blaming other people for what we did. Now, here's what we need to learn to do. We need to learn to take ownership of this field. We need to learn to take ownership of this field, and we need to plow this thing. We need to till this thing. We need to plant the right things in this thing, and we need to water this thing, and we need to cultivate this thing. We need to work the ground of our heart. So that the goodness of God, the righteousness of God, and the harvest of the kingdom can flourish and grow and blossom and produce a crop that everybody else wants a piece of. But it never happens if all we do is blame. If we never take responsibility for our field, 
if we never take ownership of this thing. Yeah, I get it. Somebody else crossed you. Somebody else was unfair to you. Someone else had this injustice against you. And all these different, you were overlooked. I get it. But we don't have to live. There is no place to live, Christian. That is no place to live, man and woman of God. That is no place to live, child of God, to live blaming everybody else for whatever is going on in your world. Don't be that person. Don't be that believer. Don't be that kind of Christian because that God has called you to be greater than that. God has called you to rise a higher than that. God has called you beyond that because Christ didn't let sin and death and the grave and the cross keep him from rising on the third day. He could have said, well, the cross was heavy and the nails were long and the crowns that were pushed into my forehead made me bleed. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and now is at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for us. And because of that, you and I have hope. You and I have hope that we don't have to live in the condition of our relationships if they're not that great. You and I can change them by first not blaming them. A toxin of blame will ruin relationships. It'll destroy relationships and the third toxin can you come on back Lori you don't have to have the whole team you have the toxin of self-pity the toxin of blame and then lastly it, it we're just using this story but it's at the beginning it's the root of a lot of things it's the toxin of resentment Resentment. Verse 16, it said, And God said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. In pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, and he will rule over you. To the man, he said, Since you have listened to your wife, and you ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you, and all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, and though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. From, you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. Resentment. You're going to have pain in your childbirth, Eve. You're going to have a desire to control your husband, but he's going to rule over you. Resentment. Eat Adam, the ground's cursed. Your whole life you're going to struggle to make a living. It's not always going to be easy. Resentment. There's going to be things that get in your way called thorns and thistles. Dang it. And when those things happen, man, it starts to stir up the condition of our heart. By the sweat of your brow, you're going to have food. But it ain't going to be easy. Resentment. Resentment. Oh, it's that. Okay. <laughs> Thought you were pumping for some oil or something. <laughs> like, let it flow. Let it flow. That's just funny. Here's the thing about resentment. It starts small, but then it spreads. 
It gets larger. It, do, it doesn't just stay in one place. People that live by resentment, here's the thing. They, they rehearse the injustices done to them. They replay the stories over and over and over and over and over in their minds. They're convinced that the object of resentment is the source for their unhappiness. I'm reminded of this story in 1 Samuel 18. It's the story of Saul and David. David had recently been anointed to be king. He wasn't looking for it. He wasn't down on his knees praying for it. He was just being a good shepherd's boy, faithful out in the field of obscurity. Samuel the prophet comes and picks him and says, this is the one the Lord says you're going to be the next king of Israel. (laughs) Oh, wow. What? So then he goes and runs an errand for his father to check on his brothers who are in the army of Israel fighting against the Philistines and against the giant at the time, the champion Goliath. And David volunteers and says, I'll take him. I'll go. I know it. I may not look like much, but give me some courage and I'll go. Courage. And he beats him, takes his own sword, Goliath's own own sword, and kills Goliath with his own sword after he hits him with his slingshot. Then they're having this victory parade, and all the people are saying, Wow, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands, and Saul, the king, heard it. And he's like, what? They're attributing tens of thousands to David and only thousands to me as a king. I sure hope he doesn't become the next king. (laughs) I was like, what? He didn't know what was going on. And it said from that time on, Saul began to view David with an eye of jealousy. And David was in Saul's chambers and he was playing the harp. Because David is a psalmist, a musician, and a prayer, and he was playing the harp. And it said, then Saul got angry and irritated and he took his spear and he lunged it at David a couple of times and missed him and David got away. Saul had a spear, David had a harp. People who live with resentment live with spears in their hands. And people who live with spears in their hands have a tendency to struggle with unforgiveness. Letting it go. People with spears in their hands tend to be negative. Always finding fault in something else. People with spears in their hands tend to be defensive. And they struggle with correction coming back their way. People with spears in their hands are judgmental oftentimes. And they struggle because jealousy rules their heart. That was Saul. But David had a harp. People with harps tend to try to deal with unforgiveness in the most biblical way possible. They look for the positive in other people. They seek truth and they welcome truth. They give people the benefit of the doubt and they they tend to rejoice with others' fortunes when other people are doing well. People with harps tend to rejoice with them. They don't get upset. They're, like, they're not angry or bitter like, you got yours, where's mine? Resentment is a real toxin that if we're not careful, I think really it's resentment that leads to blame and leads to self-pity. And as Christians, we have to not only guard our heart, 
but we got to cultivate it. We got to work the ground of our heart. This is that part of following Christ where he says, pick up your cross and follow me. Where that's that's the hard, that's the that's not the fun stuff. Oh Lord, let me dance, let me shout, let me, let me be excited. Let me, oh, you healed me, awesome. But now you want me to follow, oh, you want me to change? Oh, you expect me not to be that way anymore? What? Yeah, he does. Because he knows the potential of relationships. Why do you think so many people are divorcing? Why do you think so many people change churches so fast? Why do you think people change jobs just to get away from whoever? Why do you think people are so quick to leave? Different things. Because relationships are not easy. But who better to strive for the best than Jesus' disciples, followers of Christ? Church, we're called to model this as best as we can. But we got to work the ground of our heart so that we can identify and, and see where self-pity tries to take me, where blame tries to rule me, where resentment tries to root down on the inside of me. Now we're going to be better than that. Amen, church. We're going to be better than that. We're not going to fall prey to that. We're not going to live in that condition. It might get me a few times here or there, but I'm not going to live that way. I'm not going to sustain my steps in the direction of malice and of resentment and of bitterness and jealousy and blame and self-pity. No, I'm not going to keep living that way. I'm going to change. I'm going to let the Lord have his way in my life. Amen.